Anyway, guys, welcome. Um, my name is Matt O'Dell. Uh, I'm a co-founder of Bitcoin Park with Rod. We have Trey here from Unchained. And we have Jesse here, former fund, but you're about to launch something new and exciting. Yeah. I guess you don't want to talk about that yet, right? Yeah, not yet. Me and Jesse ripped a civil dispatch uh, earlier today. Uh, on you can guess the topic. It was on the banking crisis. I don't know. That last panel went all over the place, and I don't really know where I want to go with this. This is the economics and incentives of Bitcoin. We were going to talk about nation state game theory. They kind of went into it. I want to drill down to the fundamentals. I want to drill down to the fundamentals because I think that was missed. So this last week has been crazy for a lot of people. Our Ponzi banking system has shown its true colors to a lot of people that did not realize before what kind of risk was being taken and that your money might not be in the bank when you want to take it back. And Bitcoin provides a very interesting ability for people to opt out. In 2008, the last time we had a serious banking crisis, people didn't have an option. They had no other option. Um, and people were angry. They lost their livelihoods. People lost their jobs. People lost their homes. And there was nothing they could do about it except complain. And complaining got us nowhere. 15 years later, same shit's happening. A little bit different recipe. No one's held responsible. The incentives are all completely broken. But Bitcoin is here. So let's talk about how Bitcoin fixes this, because the politicians aren't going to fucking fix this. You want to start us off, Trey? When you think about Bitcoin, how does Bitcoin provide us the ability to opt out from this corrupt and broken system? I think the point that you're hitting on there, one of the main problems that Bitcoin fixes is this idea of counterparty risk. It's really what separates Bitcoin as an asset from every other financial asset out there. Um, even gold, you can't hold a large amount of gold or transport it without coming into some kind of counterparty risk. Um, yeah, you can hold on to a few little coins here and there. I mean, good luck verifying that you actually are holding real gold. That's, that's a separate story. But if you're trying to store or transport a material amount of wealth in gold, you have to trust somebody else. You don't have to do that with, with Bitcoin. You can use private keys that you control. You can do that in multi-sig that is spread across the globe, perhaps. If we want to talk about nation state, jurisdictional arbitrage, you can have keys in multiple countries. Um, maybe those countries don't cooperate with one another uh, and you've got some extra resiliency built into the fact that you have to go to multiple places, multiple jurisdictions, and not one jurisdiction can confiscate your wealth. You can't do that with gold. You can't do that with cash. You can't do it with real estate. Real estate's stuck in one place. It's subject to your local bureaucrats, dictates, um, ordinances, your neighbors complaining <laughs> too much. You can't do it with bonds. You can't do it with stocks. You're trusting everybody else, uh, banks and financial institutions, to store that, to allow you to even buy it in the first place. If you're located outside of the US, you might not have access to any of those financial assets like stocks or bonds. And so Bitcoin 
fixes this because you can hold a material amount of wealth yourself without trusting anybody else, without that, uh, that counterparty risk. You can transfer it instantly and for almost free any, anywhere across the world without asking for permission. And the current financial system relies completely on that counterparty risk and that permission and that trust. Satoshi, when he announced the Bitcoin project on that first forum post, he talks about all the trust that's involved in making sure that your money can't be debased. That all comes back to counterparty risk. And so Bitcoin fixes this because it fixes counterparty risk in your money. Well put. So with this specific situation, we saw Silicon Valley Bank go down. Uh, there was a run on the bank. There was a loss of trust in the bank. People withdrew their money. It was an interesting situation because a lot of their customers were corporate accounts, larger corporate accounts that were significantly higher than the FDIC insurance of 250K. For better or for worse, most Americans have been absolutely crushed by our financial system and don't have savings that are greater than 250K. So for, for most average Americans, the 250K FDIC insurance, you know, it's completely trusted and they're going to just print money to do it and debase us all. But it is relatively protected. But in this case, in SVB, we saw accounts that had $5 million, that had $10 million, that had $20 million in them. And the last panel kind of touched on this idea of Bitcoin as a treasury asset. Now, we were talking about earlier that this is almost opening up this new situation. Um, would you like to go into that? Yeah. So um, Matt had a, a good point that I hadn't thought about or heard about before of with this crisis in particular, um, any startups that, you know, venture backed startups that had $10 million in Silicon Valley Bank, uh, how could they have avoided the terror and heartache of this weekend where they didn't know if they were going to be able to pay payroll and they didn't know if they were going to be like completely screwed and totally out of business? If they had held 10% of their treasury in Bitcoin and the rest in their traditional bank, uh, they'd be fine because you would know that, all right, I'm, I'm, I may not have access to my bank account on Monday, but I can send payroll through Bitcoin. And that, to me, kind of, Matt brought this up when we were recording, and uh, I'd never thought about that feature for Bitcoin and how it induces adoption from corporate treasury. And I think it's an interesting new like uh, front for why people should or could or would adopt Bitcoin. You know, there's obviously there's the, the reason of this is a better store of value asset than anything else out there that if you hold it through the volatility of a cycle, it's going to end up being worth more into the future. And that's what MicroStrategy has you know, focused their, their bet on. But there's this whole other permissionless finance angle that, you know, if you as a small business in particular, or really any size business, if you wanted to diversify the systems that you're holding your money in between not just the traditional uh, banking system, but maybe just a little bit in Bitcoin so that you can free up 
the ability to, to you know, pay bills or pay payroll in, in the event of a crisis like we've just seen, that nobody was expecting this was, you know, a real risk at all uh, two weeks ago. And now there's suddenly a reason to consider, maybe I should hedge where I'm putting my corporate treasury. Maybe I should have a little bit of my, my you know, venture funding stashed away in Bitcoin because it could be, uh, you know, it could save me from if my bank gets seized by the government and it takes months to sort out and I can't pay anything for months and I go out of business. It's insurance, basically. You mentioned volatility. Um, if you bought Bitcoin at sixty nine thousand, it's twenty five thousand a day. You're down sixty percent or whatever that is. If you had ten million dollars in SBB on Friday, you woke up on Saturday down a hundred percent. That's volatile. Which would you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's really it's an interesting thought process because as Bitcoiners, this is something that we have highlighted. But usually it's Nigeria's phasing out cash notes and they're trying to move people over to a CBDC and you see lines outside of ATMs and the ATMs aren't withdrawing any money. But this was the first time, maybe not the first time, but I think it was a it was a new realization to a whole different class of people. It was this, this corporate privilege class, right? Like a, a startup that just raises $10 million has access to the greatest banking system in the world, right? Of course, they're going to have access to their money. Of course, they're going to be able to send it around the world. Um, but that wasn't the case. All of a sudden, they needed money without trust that they could spend without permission. And I do wonder if there's this new perspective because, I mean, we saw with SVB, we saw a lot of the reasons a lot of these startups were there were because VCs essentially, the VCs, we're using SVB as their bank. They said, we're going to fund you. We're going to give you $5 million. You're going to put it in an SVB account because we know them really well. It's the safest place you can put it. And we want to make sure you have one-year runway, two-year runway. Maybe we're going to have a bear market. It looks like money's tightening. You need to have this runway because you have all these expenses that might come up. But there's a very strong argument that you should have at least a certain number of months of, of runway held in Bitcoin so that no matter what happens, you'll be able to continue your business to still function as a company. Yeah, it, and, and it's kind of up to the Bitcoin community to let people know that that is a, a use case or a value proposition of Bitcoin. Because I think most uh, startup entrepreneurs, they're, they're not really gonna think about that unless we let them know, hey, by the way, you could totally solve this problem that you didn't, know you had, and now you know you have, but you haven't thought about a solution. So it, it creates an interesting new angle for us as Bitcoiners to try to you know spread this message. Well, I will say two years ago, I thought all VCs could go fuck themselves. <laughs> now I sit in front of you as a partner of the largest Bitcoin only venture fund. <laughs> and this banking crisis, we were way ahead of it. We were looking at it. We we're like, I mean, I was shouting about bank runs five months ago and people were telling me, Matt, just remember, like, it could be a felony to incite a bank run. And I'm like, I'm not inciting a bank run. I'm just talking about the possibility of bank runs. And one of the things we did was we went and 
you know, we were talking to all our portfolio companies, you know, what banks are you using? Where are you exposed? Um, what is the situation? And some of them came back to us, you know, like, well, we got like $5 million. We're like moving it here. We're moving it there. They're like playing, you know, this crazy game of chicken all around. And then some of them responded. They're like, oh, half our treasuries in Bitcoin. Those were like, okay, great. We're good. Right. Like they're, they're going to still function while the previous mindset might've been, oh, maybe you're too overexposed to Bitcoin. You're a Bitcoin company. Why do you have so much Bitcoin on your balance sheet? But those companies were, they were able to sleep at night, right? Over the weekend, they were actually able to know that at least, you know, they had six months runway or eight months runway, even in the worst possible situation. Of course, they got bailed out anyway. But I wonder if that's, because like previously, the corporate treasury stuff was all a sailor school of thought. It was melting ice cube, you know, you, you want the increased purchasing power. It was never really the permissionless side. I wonder if that changes. You know, Bitcoin's a hedge against the current financial system. And now people are starting to figure out they might need to be putting on that hedge. Um, and they hadn't really thought about that before. We, we think about it personally. I mean, I, I have more than just a hedge position for sure. But for anybody out there who's thinking... I might have the wrong political uh, political position and be vocal about that. You can have your bank account completely frozen. We saw that in Canada. Uh, you have to think about that on an individual level, just as companies need to be thinking about how they're managing their investors' money and their, their shareholders' money. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was, Jesse, you want to go into like the background of Caitlin Long's bank? Um, yeah, so Custodia Bank, which... I, we were reminded was Avanti Bank before. The intention, Caitlin Long is a Bitcoiner who's been working in banking forever. And I think banking regulatory matters too. Um, and her mission for the last few years has been to set up a 100% reserve bank. So no fractional reserve model here. Uh, which is a great idea. Uh, wouldn't you want to have your money in a bank where you know your money is there? Um, and wouldn't that be a great thing for customers to have lower risk than anything else uh, with, with their banking options? And yet, um, Caitlin has hit brick wall after brick wall trying to set up this business for years because they refuse to approve this type of bank. Uh, and that's very unusual. That's not what you would expect. But the reality of it is that this bank is too good uh, to have out there when all the other banks are running a fractional reserve model. Um, and you can't have a full reserve bank out there because it would attract all of the customers to that bank, which would create a bank run on all the other banks. Uh, and so because of that, Caitlin, with this great idea, um, sh you know, it, it works. It's, it's based on, on fees and, you know, upfront, upfront tr transparent, this is how we're going to, you know, make our money, but it's not going to be from lending out your money, rehypothecating it and not telling you about the risk that you're implicitly taking with your deposits. Um, hasn't been able to get anywhere. And then two days before... Um, they bailed out Silicon Valley Bank, 
uh, they they told Custodia, uh, no, we don't we don't want this type of bank yet again. So stop, <laughs> stop asking us. So she need, to open a bank, you need to have permission from the Federal Reserve. They have to accept you into the system. And if you go to their press release page, to, and you said full reserve, it's actually 108% reserve. So if you put $100 in, she would hold $108 for you. And she would just collect fees, just good old-fashioned fees. I trust this person holding my money. You're storing my wealth. I'm going to pay you fees. If you go to the press release side on the Federal Reserve, the press release right before SVB and the bailout was them denying Custodia Bank. And they didn't say it was because it would cause a bank run. They made up all these other excuses. But that's why, and that's why they can never accept it. You can never have a safe bank within a fractional reserve system. And you can never solve this problem by asking permission of the corrupt people that are in charge of the problem. So what do we do? We opt out and use Bitcoin. There is literally no other option. And if you follow it through to its fullest, Bitcoin is going to suck all of the air out of the fractional reserve system because it is a money without trust for the same reason that Custodia would. Yeah, uh, for that matter, the Trace Mayer quote of uh, Bitcoin is a a black hole on the world's balance sheet comes in. It's a black hole on the banking system's deposits, ultimately. You know, in in a future state where Bitcoin's volatility has reduced, um, it's, it's more stable than the U.S. dollar. And it's a perfectly trustless bank that becomes a black hole for banking. For that matter, it is also a black hole for the store of value assets currently stored in other store of value asset categories, which is in the soapbox I like to get on. Um, you know, we have $900 trillion of assets out there in the world in different store of value buckets, $300 trillion in real estate, another three hundred in bonds. Hundred hundred and fifteen trillion in stocks, hundred and twenty in money, um, and here comes Bitcoin, a better store of value asset because it has these properties of increasing scarcity that amount to this unthinkable property of Bitcoin gets more valuable over time in purchasing power. So if you hold it for more than four years, you have more purchasing power, which no other asset in the physical world can promise because no other asset can have this guaranteed increasing scarcity supply schedule. So Bitcoin becomes a black hole on the banking system's deposits, but it also sucks in all this value from that is stored in other store of value assets today that, are, that do not have the properties that Bitcoin has. And so I think we're heading towards this world of, of Bitcoin becoming the most important asset in the global lands, global asset landscape for the 21st century. And, uh, you know, right now in this $900 trillion ocean of, of value, Bitcoin is 500 billion right now, which is one two thousandth. So 0.05% of the world's value is, has allocated in Bitcoin. And, you know, given the properties we just talked about, how much could Bitcoin take um, my my recent focus has been on trying to figure out what's the full potential valuation for Bitcoin in this world where it sucks in uh, all this value stored in other inferior assets. And I think it could become 25% of the world's value 
in its full full potential state after several decades from from now. So it's a it's a full on black hole for deposits, but also for a- asset value everywhere. Is is the current system fractional anymore? If it's got a one hundred percent backstop from the Federal Reserve and and the Treasury, it's it's fully reserved now, yeah. right? It's it's amazing how they've made that the policy choice. When I think it just it just leaves the door so open because that's going to be gamed in some ways. I think the stat right now is that all of the um, all of the securities that are underwater, all the mortgage backed securities and and other um, sovereign bonds that are underwater right now are underwater to the tune of like nineteen trillion dollars, and the government just pledged to you know, at par value by those, meaning like they are prepared to write checks for $19 trillion to anybody, any bank that's underwater on those assets. Well, let's just pull back for a second, right? So Silvergate goes down. They actually ran a relatively responsible bank. Like 90% of their deposits were withdrawn you know, over $9 billion, they, they, they were still functional. And then the final like nail in the coffin came in and they, it was a very slow bank run. Then SVB, that bank run was, was relatively quick. Uh, they spooked the market. They were actually like maybe kind of trying to do some diligent risk management, but they, they fumbled the execution. People saw them selling securities at discounts. Um, they saw them trying to sell some stock to like cover themselves a little bit and the stock dumped Peter Thiel started, you know, told all his founders to withdraw their money. They all texted each other in the social media age. Everything spreads like wildfire super quickly. SVB goes down. Then Sunday they take signature out behind the shed, just shoot them, just knock out all their shareholders to zero, take off all the leadership. Then they say all the deposits at SVB, and signature will be 100% paid back at quote unquote no cost to the taxpayer. Now, the framing there is it's different than the bailouts of 2008 because they got rid of leadership, they zeroed out the shareholders. Maybe there's an argument for that. That's neither here nor there. The real thing that's buried there is the next piece, which was essentially a preemptive bailout for every other bank that still existed while leaving leadership and shareholders in possession of those banks. And that was this idea of providing them the ability to take loans at full original value that they bought these securities at. Yes, a blank check for buying not for your buying your assets. So we're not going to bail out the company, but we're going to make sure that your assets are not underwater so you can't go out of business. But it's not a bailout, but it's it's a bailout. That is the that's the real bailout though. Yeah. But I, I assume they can sell those securities in the market if they are trading above par, right? So they have a free zero option. down they have yeah. a free yes. option. They have zero downside and all the upside that, that they might And they want say to it's one year, but there's nothing more permanent than a temporary government measure. Yep. Socialized losses again and privatized gains. Yep. Even, I would say even worse than in 2008, significantly worse than 2008. And in this case, they're going to make a big deal. They've already started making a big deal about how taxpayers aren't paying for this. It's not going to charge, we're not going to charge you anything. It's not going to come out of your 
taxes at all whatsoever. Don't worry. But it's going to come out of your money via inflation. Right. And that's where I think it comes back to your question is, you know, maybe it's not fractional reserve anymore. I mean, I've seen arguments that say this is the nationalization of banks. This is the step before CBDCs, right? Because it's essentially one big balance sheet now shared by all these banks that doesn't really have anything to do with any individual manager. I I saw Joe Weisenthal on Twitter kind of suggesting that there should be a public option for an account at the Fed, which sounds to me like a CBDC. Straight up a CBDC. Exactly right. So it's like, well, you know, for all the other people who don't have this privilege, um, they should have the public option at the Fed. That that's the that's the framing there to help to usher that in. I'm I'm bearish on CBDCs, yeah. by the way. Well, no, no. I mean, but, I think. In pre- in, well, you mean you're bearish I, on I them mean, existing, or you're bearish I'm bear- on them? I'm, sur- I'm being bearish successful? on them. I'm bearish on them existing in the way that they've kind of been portrayed. No, no. And, what's, and is, they're going to be about. They're going to have middlemen. They're going to be privatized, surveilled digital currencies that they, that they sit in between. Like they'll have the banks manage them rather than like a Fed account directly. Yeah, there. yeah. I don't. I don't think you're going to get like account statements that have yeah. the Federal Reserve at the top of them sent to individuals. Right. Instead, right. Circle will keep the deposits with the Fed. And then they will BlackRock and Goldman will be able to take their middleman fees out of the out of the whole equation. I mean, that's the way it works right now. Yeah, right. You have a bank account at the whim of those in power, the the federal government, the right. banking system, the Federal Reserve. Um, there's really no difference there. Yeah, and then they hold treasuries, you know. and then it doesn't matter if it's at a discount because they can just loan against them at par forever. Um, but I would say to your point is. Regardless if it's fractional or not, it's a heavily trust-based system. And as a result, funds should, over time, start flowing into a trust-minimized money like Bitcoin, where you don't have that inherent trust there and you're not getting debased left and right. Because if there's trust there, then you're going to get debased. Yeah, so long as people make the individual decision that, oh, I should I should protect myself against this, or... You know, they can be motivated for whatever reason. Um, I think the biggest motivation is I want to make money. You know, I want my purchasing power to grow. So I'm going to put my money in this asset that has these properties. But you could also be motivated um, primarily or in part by I'm I'm afraid of having a CBDC tell me that I'm not allowed to spend my money on this type of thing because I've done too much this month. You know, and, and for that reason, you seek the escape valve, the escape hatch, um, or, or to use the other metaphor, of, you know, you get in the lifeboat. Um, the Titanic is sinking and the lifeboats are there and, and we're in them. Uh, and the th- thing about these lifeboats is they get bigger and they grow bigger and they get more stable the more people get in them. So... You know, it, it's a little bumpy still right now for us, and we're dealing with the eighty percent drawdown still. Um, but we got a twenty percent pump on Monday, though. Yeah, I'll take that. That felt good. <laughs> felt pretty good. Yeah. Uh, look forward to uh, a year from now when uh, a lot more of those days start happening. Um, I'm bullish on the havings. Uh, the having's not priced in yet. The having is never priced in. Yeah. They still haven't pr- priced in the last having. <laughs> Damn right. 
I, w- I just also want to add, I mean, we'll get to questions soon, but I just want to add, uh, it's important to realize that this is the first time um, that our government has bailed out uh, shit coins because USDC was going to go down and they came in with the SVB move. USDC had billions of dollars stuck at SVB. The contagion was definitely going to spread. I mean, to the other panel, like, if if you're in the Fed chair, like, what what do you do in this situation? You scrap the whole fucking system. You move to a Bitcoin standard or a fully reserved system, right? Even if you put a gold back standard, you know, I don't have to necessarily talk my book, but like the whole fucking thing is broken. But they had no choice because we already the contagion is still spreading. Like it's going to keep spreading. Like people are fucking panicking. And if they didn't do anything, it would have been even worse than the current situation right now. But anyway, they saved USDC which backs die and the two of them together back basically the entire DeFi. So they bailed out the shit coins pretty hard. And this is the first time in history we've ever seen that. Yeah. And, and as we talked about uh, before, I think that the, those stable coins are, you know, they're billed as crypto, they're billed as deep being part of DeFi, but really they're a bridge to the fiat world. They are the fiat world. They're just wrapped up with a DeFi wrapper. Um, and so, you know, they stepped in to backstop a, a, a crypto project or crypto projects. But really, it's because it's these are dollars and they have to protect their system. So it is funny, though, that they're, you know, now having to print money effectively to help out crypto DGENs. Does... Uh, I'm guessing Circle, Tether probably can't, right? But can they go to the Fed and say, "Here are the Treasuries that I'm holding on my balance sheet that are at sixty, you know, sixty percent," and get a loan on that? Well, at I'm least guessing the, they can. At right? least the banks they use are doing it, right? Yeah. Um, but those they have those, a bunch of bank their assets. They're not a bank themselves, at least not yet. But like this just goes back to everything else that because of these incentives being broken, because you don't actually let free markets play out, because people don't actually learn their lesson, because they're just riding on training wheels and never actually learn how to ride a bike, the next one's going to be even worse. Like this doesn't even, I mean, maybe not even the next one, maybe at the end of this crisis, like it just gets worse and worse and worse. But the thing is, you're just papering over it. You're just kicking the can down the road. You're letting that tower get higher and higher. And, you know, if you don't opt out with Bitcoin, you're just going to get completely screwed. You literally have no other option. Yeah, the, the, the system, as we know it, because it's possible to do bailouts, uh, it makes it so that there's no learning. Uh, in fact, you're learning the wrong lessons. So the lessons from 2008 uh, were take more risk because if you're too big to fail, they won't let you fail. So go ahead out on the risk curve and create a greater probability of a crisis happening in the future. And then that's what they did. I'm, I'm with Preston. I'm surprised it took this long for another crisis to happen because of that. It's not even just the possibility of bailouts. Like the system relies yep. on bailouts. Like bailouts are, the, are, the, are the what lets it happen. Yep. And, and so because, because you don't learn these lessons, um, then you end up with more and more zombie companies, more and more companies that are relying on bailouts to keep surviving. And then that's the complete opposite to the Bitcoin world where you have to be profitable and you have to be able to weather serious volatility and drawdowns. And because of that 
relentless drumbeat of pressure testing the Bitcoin economy. Uh, Bitcoin has this anti-fragility. This whole ecosystem is anti-fragile. It, it gets stronger over time because we learn the mistakes of the last cycle and the successful companies solve for those mistakes and make their business model resilient against the things that killed the prior cycle. I mean, we have Trey up here, right? BlockFi was valued at $4 billion. Unchained was valued significantly less than that, way less. Everyone was telling them, you got to rehypothecate funds. You know, you got to make paper Bitcoin. You got to add shit coins. You got to add a yield product, right? I can't tell you how many times I had people coming to me in 2021 and early 2022 asking if we had a yield product. And not even that, like your, your core product is the loan product. Okay, I'm going to borrow against my Bitcoin so I don't have to pay cap gains taxes and have some liquidity. And your interest rates were significantly higher than BlockFi. And they were saying, why, why, why would I go pay 12% at Unchained when I could do BlockFi at 6%? They're telling me I could send $5 million worth of Bitcoin there and they're only going to charge me 6%. You're going to charge me 12%. Yeah, because nobody in their minds understands risk adjusted. Yep. Right? The risk adjusted well, now rate. now they do. And now they do. <laughs> and now they do. Exactly. Um, and, and that's what I would tell people. Why are your rates so much higher? Well, from a risk-adjusted perspective, they're probably lower than they, than they should be, right? Um, you, you do not have the extra counterparty risk associated with rehypothecation because we don't do that. And by the way, you've got a key to verify it. To verify that the Bitcoin is actually there, that it hasn't moved. You can see it on chain. You can see it on chain. And you can do that with your hardware device, like cryptographically verify. Well, I mean, like this is, I won't say the real shame. I mean, the real shame is that people lose their livelihoods over all this bullshit. But one of the real shames is the, the responsible banks aren't rewarded in these situations. In the, in the 2022 crisis in, in Bitcoin land, Unchained was rewarded. Unchained was responsible. They thought long term and they were rewarded as a result. BlockFi went to zero. You're basically the only lender left. There's like Nexo left. I don't know. Like, how is Nexo even still in business? That's got to be. I totally forgot about them. I haven't yeah, heard anything. But like Voyager's out. Like Barry Silver just completely devastated. FTX is gone. BlockFi is gone. Like they all got wrecked. And, and the responsible businesses were the ones who got rewarded. And as a result, the whole ecosystem matures forward. But we don't see that in fiat land. In fiat land, it's just... It's the opposite. It's the too big to fail model. So you want to be a part of a big bank, uh, whether that means selling to a big bank and then you have even bigger banks or get cozying up to the right people, you know, or having the right prominent venture capitalists as part of your ecosystem such that they can petition and lobby to make sure that you get backstopped when you make a big mistake like with Silicon Valley Bank. They also had Governor Newsom on on their side too. I'm sure he's received some money from those VCs. There you go. Well, his wife got a 100k donation from them. Um just just kind of pulling back to fundamentals a go little bit. Go for it. Um you know the the fiat financial system is built on credit. It's built on debt. In in the Bitcoin world that we're working toward, that we will get to, you don't have this buildup of debt over long periods of time. It, it can't happen because it's so easy to move up the stack to base layer Bitcoin that you hold that you hold yourself. 
if that's the case, we would expect to see an economy that's built on equity instead of debt. Yeah. Right. It's it's built on people taking an equity position as opposed to borrowing money from somebody else who's probably already borrowed that money from somebody else who's borrowed that money from somebody else. And you have this like stacking of risk that ultimately results in a cascade of liquidations whenever one of the pieces of that chain gets into trouble. So like my thesis here on this, because it's interesting, right? Because people say like, oh, well, how is that different than gold, right? Now, gold, you kind of hit on earlier. You know, obviously, it's it's a higher value than most of us are used to. Um, but if you're a company, right, and you want to do a transfer for five million dollars worth of Bitcoin, relatively easy to do, right? You just you can you can send it from your phone if you want to. It's basically as easy as doing a billion. You want to you want <laughs> you want to yeah, you, but you want to settle five or five dollars, right? But if you want to settle five million dollars worth of gold, how many trucks does that require? Right? How do you take custody of that? How do you verify that gold? And as a result, the gold market has been filled with paper gold. Now people say, okay, okay, but Bitcoin's not immune to that. You could have paper Bitcoin. And we have seen paper Bitcoin. BlockFi was paper Bitcoin. FTX was paper Bitcoin. But my thesis, and I'm curious if you agree with me or what your thoughts on are here. My thesis is because Bitcoin is so simple to take custody and verify yourself, and because it's provably scarce. As long as there's people that are constantly doing that, that are constantly taking custody and verifying it themselves, we're basically going to get multiple cycles where it's just people play paper Bitcoin games, they get absolutely wrecked, the market finds equilibrium again and spot Bitcoin dominates, then people do paper Bitcoin again at a higher, at a higher price level, then they get wrecked, then the prices hit equilibrium again and spot Bitcoin drives the price. And we just keep rinsing and repeating that. And you don't see that in gold because you can't actually settle and verify yourself very easily. I think to the extent that you have debt in a Bitcoin standard, it's like these small waves that you're talking about, as opposed to these giant financial crises that happen, you know, every 10 years or whatever. But, you know, there's no reason to take counterparty risk if you don't have to. And with Bitcoin, you don't have to. With gold, you do, to your point, right? You can't, you can't transfer a large amount of that without trusting somebody. It's extremely expensive. You have to verify that it's real. Um, so it's easier to just find somebody that you trust and hold it there and then pass back and forth the claims. But with Bitcoin, the claims are the Bitcoin. So it doesn't make much sense to build all these IOUs on top of it and pass those around because that's just as easy as passing the actual Bitcoin around. Um, and so it, it's, it's like it's solved that problem of counterparty risk because the claim and the thing are one in the same. Yeah, well said. Let's wrap up with some final thoughts. Jesse, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, I don't have any. I got them all out. Well, thank you for joining us. The having's not priced in. Yeah. Trey, final thoughts. Hold your own keys. When you're talking to people about Bitcoin, make sure that that's front and center in the conversation. You convince somebody that they should be buying Bitcoin, the next word out of your mouth is, okay, you've got to hold your own keys. Maybe not now, but I'm here to help you. My final thought is, first of all, if we go through a bunch of different chaos situations, which I kind of expect, people are going to lose their livelihoods. 
People are going to lose their jobs. People are going to lose their houses. Be kind about it. Take care of your friends and family. I'm like 95% sure that the path to hyper-Bitcoinization is just like billions of people getting rugged over and over and over again. And then we're on a Bitcoin standard. And with that said, can we thank our wonderful guests for joining us? Thank you, guys.